everyone, welcome to join us today. We're broadcasting live from our studios in Kokumlimli. We're also live on DSTV channel 421 and GoTV channel 125. We are your home of independent, fearless, and credible journalism. My name is Kenneth Jesse. Coming up this hour, in the midst of inconsistent power outages experienced in many parts of the country, the electricity company of Ghana insists there is no doomsaw. More as minority in parliament declared the power sector broke. It's been recurrent, it's been going on. And we just need to know, the uh, public need to know what is going to happen to them in the evening, plan their lives, and be able to adjust. Also in this package, Attorney General defends President Kufaro's 10 trillion judgment debt saved to the state. More as he says, the amount is even an understatement. Because every minister has the responsibility of bringing to the president's attention the work that the minister has done. And in presenting my report, I deliberately understated the account. The minister has done. And in presenting my report, I deliberately understated the account. Details are coming up in a bit. Stay tuned learning of a consistent shortfall in power supply forcing the electricity company of Ghana to undertake unannounced load shedding. Executive Director with the Africa Center for Energy Policy, Ben Boache, says financial and managerial issues are responsible for the power outages. Uh, the Let me give you some statistics. Um, just this month, um, on the 2nd of February, uh, the shortfall, the total shortfall was about 530 megawatts. So we cut exports and reduce it to 180. Uh, 14th of February, we had 390 shots for. We cut exports and reduce it to 190, to 180. Uh, 14th of February, we had 390 shots for. We cut exports and reduce it to 190. This is appears to be exacerbating. Yesterday alone, there was a whopping 530 megawatts of deficits culminating in curtailment of power to Côte d'Ivoire, to Burkina Faso, and to Togo. You would attest that there was some massive darkness yesterday. Today at 12 p.m., load shedding would commence again. Our investigation indicates that some of the thermal plants are down. Specifically, TACO is down, TICO is down, and so they are not generating enough power. But more importantly, there's a lack of fuel in the system. Because of the financial constraints, government has not been able to procure adequate fuel to fire some of our thermal plants, culminating in the load shedding that we're experiencing. One month of load shedding is more than enough. This is not sporadic. This is continuous. This is persistent. And we think that the handlers of the power sector should do the onerous thing by informing the people of Ghana so they can plan ahead of time. This deliberate fixation on denial and deceiving the people of Ghana can no longer hold. We therefore call on President Akufuado, Dr. Baumia, and this government to do the needful by telling the people of Ghana the truth. We also call on government to, to look for money wherever they can find that money to procure heavy fuel oil and other sources of fuel to power the thermal plants. 
We cannot have this quantum of thermal complementarity and still shed load. Let's go to our parliamentary affairs correspondent, Kweku Asante, who is joining me via Zoom for more. Kweku, welcome to the program. Uh, they are also demanding an official announcement of a load shedding exercise, the minority. What more can you tell us? Can you say that again? I didn't hear that. The minority is demanding a timetable for the load shedding exercise. What more can you tell us? Well, that is their demand. They say that because per their research and the data they have available to them, it is obvious that the country is currently um, witnessing a low shedding exercise, which they demand that government needs to put the data out and announce an official load shedding. In fact, on the floor of parliament a while ago, the deputy finance minister, I'm not sure, sorry, was making the point about how this government had kept the lights on. Immediately she finished, the lights went off in parliament of Seba Video. And that is the situation. But I think that from everything that we've seen, it clearly shows that the country is witnessing those shedding at a catastrophic level, and they expect government to put up an official notice explaining that the country is going through load shedding and doing so. Yeah, mm, right, and the debate on the state of the nation address is also expected to commence today. Has it started already? That started. The, the Deputy Finance Minister, Abdelsi has removed the motion to thank the president on the state of the nation and she has spoken at me, spoken about how this government has kept the lights on. Of course, not in direct respect to um, John Junapo, who had made claims about doing so and low shredding. Then we have Okujita Blackwa starting a debate for the minorities. Currently on the phone, we're talking about how, as a, as, as a government, the president neglected the people of the voter region who had experienced Kosombo Dam's village and their tenant effect. So it's going to go on until next week when the leaders will consider. Mm. Is that to say that the majority has not officially communicated on the current load shedding taking place? Not, not yet. We haven't heard quite from them on, on this specific matter. They haven't spoken about it. Except uh, Madam Abdullah, as a deputy finance minister, who makes a point about how this government has kept the light on it. Yeah. All right, Kukuasante, uh, thank you very much for bringing us up to speed with events happening in Parliament. Now, 18 civil society groups are up in arms against the passage of the anti-LGBTQ bill passed in Parliament yesterday. Board Chair of the Centre for Democratic Development, Audrey Gajapo, described the bill as obnoxious and say they are headed for the court should the President assent to the bill and pass it into law presentations at the memo stage to parliament we've made um, submissions in the media right. pointing out why this is such an obnoxious and dangerous bill mm -hmm. for our democracy and for human rights not only for lgbtq people even though the bill is targeted at them but the implications that they have for other human rights of minorities as well as even writes about freedom of expression, freedom for the media. Mm -hmm. So we've made those submissions, but it looks like it fell on deaf ears. And we sort of are disappointed that Parliament didn't take it seriously. We know that there was a lot of pressure within Parliament because of the way the issue was framed. Mm -hmm. So even those who know the dangers of the bill, 
couldn't come out against the bill. A lot mm-hmm. of human rights organizations also sent memorandum and pe- appeared before parliament. parliament. That is true. But our points were not taken into consideration. They went through periods where they took out issues that we had raised about the bill, some issues, but the main substance of criminalizing sexual identity remains. Mm-hmm. Criminalizing speech mm-hmm. remains. And that's where the danger is for, let's say, the media. So, so it, some it say has, it's, it's, it's likely to read into the criminal libel law. Yes. It's like, imagine that there's a bill, and there's never been any bill tied to criminalizing anything that says, even talking about the fact that you have a problem with the issue can land you in jail. Mm-hmm. That's why it is criminal libel law. And I think it was Honorable Afanyo Markin who made that point. Right. But I think there are lawyers in parliament and they know indeed it is true however the proponents of the proper human sexual rights and family values bill say they are prepared to phase off in court with a coalition of 18 civil society groups in their quest to institute legal action after presidential assent listen to the executive secretary of the coalition for human sexual rights and family values Moses for I'm winning last 13 years I have spent my hard-earned money and that of the church to cater for over 400 people who are suffering from this business of LGBT propaganda. Do you know, you know, when you don't say it's a minority people, minority right to do what? To do what? You see, because the law follows the facts. What kind of rights is we claiming are minority rights? And I've shared this on your station. That this business of minority rights, civil rights, constitutional rights, is always a false, uh, you know, uh, herring being thrown at us. And the whole basis for this falsehood was a campaign strategy written for the LGBT movement by Paul Rondeau. You can Google for his name. Because they went to him, and the American LGBT movement went to him and asked, how can we have America accept LGBT activities? And he said, look, and I'm quoting from the book, After the Ball, go and read it. It says that because what we do and the consequences of it are so repulsive, let us not focus on what we do and the consequences, but focus on minority rights, human rights, democracy. That's the argument they're always throwing out. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, you, the journalist, don't buy into it. That's a lie. She, she says they're going to court. Well, we're going to meet them in court. So... To answer your question directly, you know, we are waiting for her in court. That's a lie. The president is a very smart politician. I don't think he's going to buy into this false argument about democracy and human rights. No. In a related development, former executive secretary of the Christian Council, Dr. Oponi Frimpon, has been applauding Parliament. He says the legislature has responded to a public concern. Are growing our democracy, and we should not be afraid of dissenting views. When I am hungry as a Ghanaian, I should be free to say I'm hungry. It should not stop other people also uh, to raise their concerns. Uh, Anti-LGBT law uh, that has been passed, it must be said, it's a national concern. What Parliament has done today, they have only responded to a national concern and deserve the uh, commendation, the congratulations of Ghanaians. That other people will want to 
come together and raise their voices. That is their democratic right. But we want to plead with the president, the father of our land, that this law is a national concern matter, and therefore he must also give it a national response as early as possible. Even if some people want to challenge it at court, uh, demonstrations, media, that is also their right. But it should not stop Ghanaians uh, uh, from protecting our moral values today and the generations that will come after us. At this stage, we will only uh, uh, from protecting our moral values today and the generations that will come after us. At this stage, we will only need to raise another tension. We have seen enough. And where we have raised is that... Let's bring in my Ghana's valuable public health, media and civic spaces and economy. International business coalitions have already stated that such discrimination in Ghana would harm business and economic growth in the country. The legislation is inconsistent with Ghana's tradition of tolerance, peace, and respect for human rights. The United States echoes the call by Ghanaians who have urged a review of the constitutionality of the bill to protect the rights of all individuals in Ghana. And this is from the United Nations, and it says, if the Human Sexual Rights and Guinean Family Values Bill becomes a law, it will exacerbate fear and hatred, could incite violence against fellow Guinean citizens, and will negatively impact on free speech, freedom of movement, and freedom of association. If it becomes a law, it will obstruct access to life-saving services, undercut social protection, and jeopardize Ghana's development success. Evidence shows that the punitive laws like this bill are a barrier to ending AIDS and ultimately undermine everyone's health. So those are some of the views from the international community. Away from that story, President Akufuado is calling on West African leaders to unite against the increasing rate of violent extremism and political instability in the sub-region. Addressing the third Kofi Annan Peace and Security Forum on Migration, the former ECOWAS chairman attributed this development to the activities of people he referred to as miscreants. President Akufuado is therefore calling for a concerted approach by heads of states in the ECOWAS sub-region to address the complex dynamics of migration trends and their potential to undermine the hard-won peace and security in Africa. Offer the stakeholders the opportunity to delve into the impact of the movement of persons from one country to the other. It has also set the stage for heads of state, delegates and participants to explore approaches to addressing migration-related conflicts through effective policies and peace-building mechanisms in the region. Addressing delegates at the forum, President Akufuado called for a unified front to tackle violent extremism and political instability on the African continent. The ECOWAS region is grappling with multiple sources of insecurity that include violent extremism and democratic reversals. The recent decision by the authorities in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger to withdraw from the ECOWAS does not augur well for the security and stability of our common region. The recent political turmoil in Senegal, for example, creates a loophole for miscreants to perpetuate insecurity in the region and deepen the migration crisis. 
Indeed, such developments are deflecting the attention of the community away from deeper and more meaningful regional integration and economic development that are anchored on the protocol relating to the free movement of persons, the right of residence and establishment. Together with my fellow ECOWAS counterparts, we're seeking ways to find amicable solutions. The region is at the crossroads, and our actions will determine the trajectory that will set the path for prosperity or destruction for our citizens in East Africa. As His Excellency Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations states, and I quote, as a global community, we face a choice. Do we want migration to be a source of prosperity and international solidarity, or a byword for inhumanity and social friction? Meanwhile, Attorney General Godfrey Dami says, through government's intervention, the nation has saved more than 10 trillion cities in what would have been paid as judgment debt. This comes after President Akufuado made a similar statement during the State of the Nation Address in Parliament on Tuesday. The service that the President announced was actually an underestimation. The President grossly underestimated it. And it was actually my dream. Mm. Because every minister has the responsibility of bringing to the President's attention the work that the minister has done. And in presenting my report, I deliberately understated the account, just not to raise on SV eyebrows and to be on SV sensational. But if you, if, if you, go, through, if you go through, trillion. if you go through, if you go through, 10 trillion is just arising in a single case. Mm. If you go through, the savings are actually over 14 billion. 14, 14 trillion. trillion. Yes. I can refer to this matter, China Jilin, which the Supreme Court set aside only last year. The judgment debt here, if you look at the figure here, Originally, and all the time, Ganashir was in the High Court of um, Justice, I think, in Kumasi or so. Mm. The transport minister actually came here and made a lot of noise about it because it affected his account and all. Mm. And we took it up and compared to situations where ministers and, and the also administration would team up and, 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 and orchestrate and facilitate judgment debt. It is this amount of 352 billion. So that the figures are even dizzy, you can't even. 352 million Ghana cities. 352 million, 662,144.41 pesos. And then an amount of almost $1 billion, $988 million, $294,313. That is it. So almost a billion dollars plus 325 million Ghana cities. So the Supreme Court again in 2022, after 2023, yeah, in the conclusion, says the application before the court that we have quashed the ruling given was expressly to set aside the Ganache order and without prejudice making the controversial setting aside order. And they granted the order question all these proceedings. Yeah. And interestingly, in this judgment, the court actually held that, as we contended, that the persons who had mounted the action even had no capacity whatsoever. And the identities could not be made out. Yeah. Um, a person who was a foreigner holding a power of attorney, which had not been uh, properly uh, notarized, 
and who had even died later on in the course of the trial and therefore could not have given another poor fatally to another person to pursue the trial. Away from that, criminologist calls for auditing of security systems in intercity buses to quell highway robberies. The Kumasi Accra Highway has not only been a route susceptible to road crashes, but also a stretch for robbery attacks on night travelers. A recent video which surfaced on social media revealed how a driver and passengers in a minibus swiftly escaped an attack at gunpoint on the poorly lit road. With growing security concerns on the, on the stretch, a criminologist with the KNUST, Dr. Jones Opoku-Ware, is proposing an intensive audit of security systems, including CCTV cameras at commercial car terminals and in intercity buses to profile passengers embarking on a journey. It's almost midnight and these passengers are heading to Kumase from Accra but would soon encounter a near-death robbery attack on the highway. From Accra but would soon encounter a near-death robbery attack on the highway. Vehicle in an attempt to rid passengers of their belongings but the driver's... is what we have to me looking at the nature of our roads, especially which are not very late, most of the time are highways which are not very late, they, they make it very easy for people to undertake such kind of operations. Uh, anytime they, they really get motivated to do that. So it is something that is very, very, uh, let me say, very normal for me looking at the way our, our highways are configured and, and the kind of, you know, darkness we, we, we see on our, on our highways. Over the last few years, it has become a new normal for many travelers to make their journeys at night. Dr. Jones Pokumari is suggesting thorough auditing of security systems at lorry terminals and buses to quell robberies on the roads. I've suggested this to, to the police some time ago, I think that was last year or last two years, that they have to go to the bus terminals and do a proper auditing of all the CCTVs that are there. Okay, especially the VIP area, the original area. Okay, remember that the location of especially the VIP bus stop, especially that area, is a, is a highly crime spot. They have to do a proper auditing of, of the bus terminals, not even the Asapu area alone, but all the, the bus terminals because they are generally crime attracted and crime hotspots. Okay, and audit those security systems there and make sure that those who bought badges we can easily have a way to profile them. For Joy News, my name is Emmanuel Brantz-Kweku. In the fourth episode of the NHIS Cost Burial Series, Joy News uncovers reasons health facilities providing services under the National Health Insurance Scheme resort to cash and carry system even though patients have valid health insurance cards. The reasons stem from NHIS underpayment of services and medicines offered to patients by the service providers. Stanley Niblewo has more in the following report. Here at the Gawes Municipal Hospital, scores of patients who have come here to access health care are not happy because they are compelled to pay money despite being valid members of the scheme. Accompanied by the mother, Sarah Kisiwa has just been discharged from the hospital after spending four nights at the facility after being delivered of her baby. 
She is one of the many patrons who had to pay money for services the facility offered to them. Kisiwa says the national health insurance is not simply working. She bags a claim with receipts she obtained from the hospital showing proof of payment. I have the national health insurance, but when I come to the hospital, I am being requested to pay for services including labs and scans. I am surprised that patients are being asked to pay money for services rendered. This is really disturbing. At the entrance of the Mamobi General Hospital is Rosamond Kodia. She has also been discharged from the facility after being delivered of her baby there. She also expressed shock about the huge sums of money she had had to cough up to settle her bills despite possessing a valid NHIS card. I think it's not working here because they really took me a lot of money. At um, the place that I delivered, they took me 190 cities, almost 200 cities, before I was moved up there. Up there too, I was being charged. The charges are too much. Let's say after giving birth, I've spent almost 500 cities. And it shouldn't be so, even though I'm using health insurance. For these patrons, improvements of the scheme to serve its intended purpose must be government's priority. But why would health facilities force patients to make out-of-pocket payment for services they render to them? A health professional with one of the district hospitals in Accra justified why health facilities resort to a cash-and-carry system instead of relying on the scheme. He said... The medicines we administer are imported from outside the country where the prices of medicines are fixed. By the time it gets to the end of the year, the dollar rate would have changed. Taxes would have also been introduced. So maintaining the initial price would not help the facilities. Prices of most of the things that NHIS cover go up, but the insurance price would not be adjusted to complement it. If you're a manager of a hospital, and you buy a medicine for 10 cities in January. By December, that same medicine costs about 20 cities. And a patient comes to the hospital, do you expect us to give the medicine to them at the initial price in order to avoid disagreement with the authority? When a patient comes to the hospital with or without the health insurance card, we make them buy the drugs because the price NHIS pays us is way below the price we buy the medicines on the open market. Let's bring you more stories this afternoon as five shops at Carnation Market responsible for handling food have been sealed by the Metro Public Health Department in collaboration with the Accra Metropolitan Assembly AMA due to unsanitary conditions. Florence Kuchi, the Director of Public Health at the AMA, spearheaded the operation and provided further details regarding the closure. Stephanie Bimpong has more in this report. That's an official of the Accra Metropolitan Assembly, jostling a woman whose sweat was soaking into sugarcane she was preparing to sell to the general public. The officials, angered by her actions, would not allow her to continue contaminating the sugarcane and goes to arrest her. The same thing, the same thing that's in the train. Look at the behavior she's putting up there. 
So let's take care away. It will serve as a deterrent to all of you here. That's the best thing. I mean, I don't, I don't compromise with the wrong. You are doing the wrong thing. We want to educate you. And you feel like you are, you, nobody, you are above education. We cannot allow that to be done here. To go on here, no. I'm saying they should send her away. That's for us to send her away from here. And she shouldn't be here again. Even the pleas of her colleagues would not get her off the hook. One of them, Abigail, says they usually have little choice in the matter because their main objective is to sell and get money for their upkeep and schooling. I want to sell because I want to get money and continue my school. That was the beginning of the clampdown at the Kaneshi market on yesterday's Clean Ghana campaign led by Director of Public Health at the Accra Metropolitan Assembly, Florence Kuchi. So you can see that Upon all the education that we are giving out there, people are refusing to heed to it. So now, the last resort of uh, environmental health education enforcement is uh, legal action. We have given them education, we've spoken to them, but we can see that nothing seems to be going on. So you see, we've locked some of the facilities, and those people will be taking them to court. So at the end of the day, we serve four notices, statutory notices, and we are asking them come to the office, they'll come and explain to us why those things are going on in the various uh, uh, facilities that they are operating. The team went to inspect the environments of drinking bars, cornmeal shops and other food joints. Four of the cornmeal joints whose surroundings didn't meet the sanitation criteria were shut down. The day ended with a caution to other traders to be mindful of their surroundings while adhering to the Assembly's bylaws. Stephanie Boampo's report, back to you. Welcome, let's do some business. I am Emma Davis. Ghana's electric vehicle policy is expected to provide market signals and help to decarbonize the transport sector. Meanwhile, players within the sector want more to be done to support more investors. According to team lead for Jet Ghana, Eugene Sagmote, a more conducive environment for investors is key to the growth of the space. More in this report. Organized by the Jobs and Economic Transformation Ghana team, the UK government program is dedicated to the creation of jobs and economic transformation in Ghana. The initiative aims to explore investment opportunities, foster partnerships, and contribute to the growth of the automotive sector in Ghana. The, the market is really burgeoning at the moment and presents lots of opportunities that these advanced manufacturers based in India are looking to take, take these um, opportunities further. In the space of two, three-wheeler manufacturing, the market is very ripe. We see a few manufacturers here, and we have seen the government being supportive of the development in that, in that segment of the automotive industry with a recent EV policy, which is seeking to increase uptake of electric vehicles. Herein lies opportunity for them to partner with local stakeholders, as well as last-mile delivery companies like the Ubers and, and the Yangos and the Boats, to ensure that while delivery is safe and fast, it is also contributing to the existential issue, um, existential issue of our time, which is climate change. Founding director of Shima E-Vehicle and Solar Limited, 
Yukesh Lad described Ghana's investment environment as positive. Thus, uh, what stage is now the Ghana is or the West Africa is, it's about the electric vehicles. It's a starting here. So definitely we are finding a good opportunity uh, if, we, if we invest here for the electric two-wheelers. And as the government is very clear about the policies for the EVs, implementations in the future, definitely we find a good business opportunity here. Chief Executive of the Private Enterprises Federation, Nana Osei-Bonsu, is renewing calls for the Income Tax Amendments Bill to be reviewed in order to support businesses to grow. According to him, the tax handle is unfair to small and medium enterprises and hampering growth. We wanted to alert the government to the point that uh, one shoe fits all tax regime, income tax regime, not on all taxes, just the income tax, which is 25% of any business that you do. You're supposed to pay taxes on the income that you generate from that business. We think that that is a misnomer. They don't allow the SMEs to grow. They're small potatoes. If you pay 25% on 10,000, the residual is little compared to 25% on 2 million. So the big players, even of 25%, they still get the benefit of a whole lot of money to be able to do their business. But our micro, small, and medium enterprises, 25% on their income. So what we wanted to do, and the study has shown that, if we stagger, if you spread the taxes on their income, say if you make 10,000, you pay 1%. If you make 20,000, you pay 3%. You make 50,000, you pay about 7%. Then it allows them room to accumulate. Why do people do business? They do business because they want to keep the majority of the money to themselves. They don't go do business because they want to take, pay taxes. So if you allow them room to get the money that they make from their business, to grow their business to the level, they will voluntarily be able to pay their taxes. And the government wouldn't have to get the tax accountants chasing people and going after them and cases where the government was even intending to take taxpayers to court. You take taxpayers to court, what do you do? You destroy their business, you destroy the employment, employment that they generate, and then you don't get the money going forward tomorrow. So that's the end of the day for you and them, the, sun, the sunlight. That'll be all for business with me, Emma Davis. For more business news, do log on to myjoyonline.com. The news continues. Good afternoon.